Hi there, and welcome to the Kingdom Sexuality Podcast. We're Alana and Kyle, friends who have a heart for intimacy and long to uncover God's truth and design for sexual freedom within marriage. On our podcast, we weekly discuss topics that are typically left in the shadows, and we do our best to shine God's light and love onto them. Welcome here. Um, okay, so welcome back to another episode of the Kingdom Sexuality Podcast. Today, I am so pleased to be visiting with Brandy Harris. So, Brandy, why don't you tell our listeners kind of who you are and why why we're talking today, especially when it comes to sex and sure. like how that plays a role in what you do for work and all that good stuff. Okay, well, thanks for having me. First of all, it's always nice to meet a new host and a new audience as much as I can. Um, I am a marriage and family therapist and a licensed professional counselor in Springdale, Arkansas, which is about the middle of America. Um, and I love my work. Actually, it's full-time work as a therapist. So I actually work four days a week doing that work. Um, and I have about you know 15 to 20 clients a week. And how I got into this work is actually, as I was doing my work as a counselor, I had quite a few people come into my office, um, often believers, um, but sometimes not believers, just people who were brought up in pretty conservative culture, who had a lot of confusion and pain um, surrounding sexuality. and. Since marriage and family therapy is pretty focused on the bigger system, that includes our relationships with other people and often our sexual relationships with other people. Um, And it also has an individual component, just sexuality in general. What does that even mean um, to be a sexual human being? Especially if you're not married, you know, is that allowed? What does it mean? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, all of those pieces. So you know, lots of lots of exploring with those people what's going on, what they were taught, um, the pain and injuries they sometimes had surrounding sexuality. And I found myself saying a lot of the same things. And um, I love, as a part of my work, something I often do is hand over resources that could be helpful. You know, I don't want to necessarily teach anyone or push anyone any direction, but if they're interested or curious, I want to hand them a resource that they could dive deeper in. And what I was finding is that a lot of the resources that I have or the popular resources that were out there at the time were really not helpful. (laughs) So either I was getting um, resources from a more religious perspective that were what I would consider pretty um, uh, one-sided. You might use the word patriarchal, but a lot of very like male-centered pleasure documentation, um, which is just one-sided. And and some use of scripture to kind of um, further beliefs that were somewhat harmful. Um, and so I didn't want to really give those resources out. And I, I also felt concerned because it lacked science. So you would have maybe like a biblical dive, um, but no science. And, and I personally feel like science absolutely reveals God's goodness. And so um, if we say that something like 
all truth is God's truth, then when you find something scientifically that is beautiful and good and amazing, I want to attribute that goodness to a creator God. Um, And if we neglect looking at the science, sometimes we miss some of those really beautiful good things. So I wanted resources that incorporated both. And there there are lots of scientific resources at this point, um, but some of those lack a biblical worldview and have yeah. no scripture. And um, so I just didn't have any good resources and wanted to be able to hand out good resources. Um, and then my church came to me and said, we would really like to do some sex education with our church. Would you be interested in helping with that? And I said, wow. yes, I would love to do that. So um, rallied a few people and we, we worked very quickly to try to pull together a more concrete resource, you know, a workbook that I could hand out. And then I taught six weeks of um, education to our church. Um, we dug through old misused passages and looked for new and more um, helpful passages Mm -hmm. within the Bible and then also taught just the straight up science of sex and how it works and what the research says about it. Um, And this was to adults? Yes, this was adults and they were all, um, I mean, we had married, we had single, we had women, we had men, we had young, we had old, um, but we did say it was for an 18 plus audience. So, um, you know, we had quite a few parents who were listening on behalf of their children, I think, but, um, but that's, that's kind of where it started. And then it's just kind of gone from there. So speaking and teaching, and I have a, a new course out for specifically for parents, um, sex ed for parents. So, um, yeah, dug into all that. I saw that. I love that. Um, I kind of want to go that way because we're already here. Because, okay. um, yeah, because I noticed on your website that you had information on yeah. sex ed and it's probably a course or whatever it is that you yes. offer uh-huh. um, about that. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain on it a little bit because it's something we often get asked about is, you yeah. know, how do I have these healthy conversations with my kids? Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you want to express and you want to encourage your kids to wait yeah. to have sex until they're married, yeah. but you don't want to project that like purity culture-ness right. of it because it's so harmful. Like I know there's so many of us coming out of that like PTSD right. of purity culture and we're like, Ugh, like this sucks, but I don't want, like I want my kids to wait, but I don't want to make it so they have this too. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think what's hard is that you know, if you just heard the term purity culture, you might not think it was a bad thing if you're yeah. a woman, because you might think, oh, purity, that's something that I want. I want to be pure. I want mm-hmm. to be holy. I want to follow God. I want to demonstrate who he is in the way that I live my life. So yes, of course, I want mm-hmm. to follow purity culture. You know, if, if that's all you knew about it, you might yeah. just go for it, right? Yeah. Um, But the problem is that when we use the term purity culture, we're often referring to a very legalistic um, and uh, I would say like highly filtered, edited version of a biblical worldview rather than a big picture of the Bible that is demonstrative of who God is and his relationship with us. And so purity culture by itself wouldn't be a problem if it also included yeah. all the other parts of who God is. And yeah, all so well-meaning. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Um, so I so the thing that I like and it's it's not legalistic, which is actually maybe scarier for some people, which is true about most people coming out of legalism. Mm -hmm. It's like if you don't have hard and fast rules, you know, black and white, right and wrong, right. then we're terrified because yeah. we think, what do I have? Yeah. Yes. I'm just going to slide into the black somehow um, instead of staying in the straight and narrow. But what I have is something that's, it's not legalistic, which means it's aiming for the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. But you know, the spirit of purity um, is this idea that we are being actually holy and, and we are different, right? We're doing this in a different way. And what I, I like to suggest to, to people who are interested is this idea of matching your level of vulnerability with your level of commitment. So the first time you meet someone and you don't know them at all and you've never met them before and you're just going on, let's say, a first date, you are not committed to them. You're, you're, right. The only commitment you have to them is to show up for maybe an hour, right? And right. that's all you've committed to. That is such a tiny commitment. And therefore, your level of vulnerability should be tiny. You know, I'm only going to let myself be seen in a very small way in the way that I am committed to this person and that they are committed to me. Very small. Mm -hmm. And the longer you're with someone, if, if you keep engaging with them, the more committed you are becoming to them and the more committed they're becoming to you. And so as that commitment grows, that level of vulnerability grows. And then... I want to say idealistically or ideally yeah. we don't really get to full vulnerability and full transparency until we have full commitment, whole commitment, which essentially would be marriage. Um, and, and I really think God designed it like that on purpose. He knows mm -hmm. that our vulnerability is, is essentially very risky, right? Like you put your whole yeah naked self out there, that is risky if you don't have a, a level of commitment from the other person and vice versa. It's a mutual experience. So um, that's the thing I'm talking to about my kids, with my kids. You know, I'm saying, where are you at in your level of commitment and where are you at in your, their level of commitment to you? You know, if, if you're not ready to, for example, call them your boyfriend or girlfriend, because that's a level of commitment, right? Putting yeah. a name and a label on something. Or if, if you're not ready to call them your fiance, or you're not ready to call them your wife, you know, why would you rush your vulnerability and be completely open and transparent as well? If, if there's something that's holding you back from that commitment, then probably there should be something also holding you back from that level of vulnerability um, and help them think through why are they committing to that point and therefore why are they being vulnerable to that point. Mm -hmm. So these conversations, when would they start? Like when would you start talking about, you know, um, yeah, those sorts of things in general and then even deeper as in like, you know, I don't know, in general, like, I don't know, in general, like that whole like yeah. sex education kind of yeah. concept, like when does that begin? Yeah. So I say that sex education starts from the day you conceive, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which sounds crazy because the kid's not even out yet, but right. 
But the thing is, I, I, and you would see this if you take my online course, I go through this much more extensively, but um, I say there's three components to healthy sexuality. Um, One is your, yourself, like how you feel about you Mm. and your ability to communicate what you need, what you want, how you're feeling. That's component one. Um, Component two is just understanding, understanding how bodies work, understanding how, you know, uh, how, how, I don't know how to say this, how to, um, reproduction, how reproduction works, you know, how does, how do hormones work? How do relationships work? You know, just that knowledge, that's component number two. And then component number three is, is relatability or relationships. So how do I engage with other people? And that starts from day one. The moment you even imagine having a child, you've already started forming in your head how you talk to this child, how you relate with them, how much you care about them, how much you value them. That starts from day one. So the day the kids pops out, you've already been talking to them probably for at least eight months, right? As long yeah. as you knew they existed. Yeah. Um, and how you talk to your child matters. They, yeah. they perceive that, they're affected by that. If you're valuing them as a person, if you're allowing them to have a voice in your home, um, if you're giving them confidence in their uniqueness, um, or if you're belittling them for being different from you, that makes a pretty big difference in who yeah. they are as a person long-term. And it makes a big difference in how they relate to other people, which makes a difference in how they relate sexually. So it yeah. starts from day one. Huh. Um, you know, the science, the science, you take your time and you're, you're teaching them as much as they can understand at those different right. levels, you know. They're not at, at age four, hormones are not going to be a good conversation to have, you know, although I've met a few five year olds who know what dopamine is. So you never know. Maybe wow. they're ready to early. <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah. You can start talking about the science as they're curious. You know, you start those conversations and kind of gauge how receptive they are. You know, a lot of kids short attention span, right? Like yeah. they need they need two sentences on reproduction and then they're over playing soccer, you know, like they've moved on and that's fine. You know, like we're not trying to make this big, scary deal every time we have a big sex talk, you know, we're just like, we're going to talk about bodies and humans and, and reproduction as if it's a normal part of life. And it's an open conversation in our home where we're not afraid of it. And we do treat it as if it's special, but that, that, that can easily be misconstrued as shame. Mm -hmm. So rather than being like hush hush or scared or giggling a bunch, we just explain to them the difference between privacy and and public conversations. Yeah. And just like you would talk to them about why we don't run around naked in the street, you know, you say, well, we have a little bit of privacy or maybe that's why we shut the bathroom door whenever we go to the bathroom, you know? Yeah. It's just understanding privacy and kids can understand that from a very young age. Um, So I say all about the early. And then the the, the last piece is like teenagehood. Right. You're going to need to start having conversations about relating in a more romantic, sexual way as they're getting curious and interested in that. So, yeah. 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 I love that. I think it's so true. And I think it's, it's so much better to be open and honest and, have those conversations just in the normal seat yeah. of your home versus yeah. like, okay, come sit on the couch. Right. We need to have a talk. Like stare each other down. Right. Super awkward. Yeah. yeah. And 
it's funny. I literally had this exact scenario happen with my three-year-old. We were in a store and he's uh-huh. like, oh, mommy, I need to poop. And I was like, okay. So we go, we go to the bathroom uh-huh. and he's sitting on the toilet and then he's trying to peek under underneath yeah. at the other person. Yes. And I was like, oh, like Theo, you know, we actually, we, it was not okay to peek underneath. Yeah. And he's like, well, why? Such like, a great question. And it, and it gave me an opportunity to be like, you know what? Well, you know, because people need privacy when they use the yeah. bathroom. Like, yeah, people don't want to see your bum. We don't want to see other people's right. bum. Like, I know I was trying to like make it just like, you know, so that person wants privacy. That's why there's doors. That's why so we each have our own stalls. And he's like, well, why is there a gap underneath? Like, Such oh, a great that's question. A really good point. Like, why is that? I said, well, if there was an emergency and someone needed to come get somebody, then they could crawl underneath. But I was like, oh my goodness, why are there gaps underneath? (laughs) That is silly. Oh man, I love how to ask the most obvious. I'd be like, why did I never even think of that question? But I know, (laughs) it's a good question. (laughs) I know, but it was good. I was like, okay, no, this is like I because you know, like I I was able to kind of explain. Like as much as I thought he would understand or was relevant to him now, but yeah, yeah, it's so true to just have them now. And even being open and honest, like from the get go, I know, um, I think my parents wouldn't have done this, but we call like our, like my son, he has a penis and we say Mm -hmm. a penis to him and that's always what it's been. Um, it's just a body part. It's a penis. Exactly. But Mm -hmm. I, like my mom was always like, Oh, like his diddly hopper or whatever. Like she had these like weird, like funny names. And I was like, no, like we're yeah. just going to call it a penis. Like that's just what yeah. it's going to be. And so I think it even starts with things like that, where you're being yes. open and honest just about correct. what your body yeah. is in general. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean that like the, the, the silly names we give, it adds a level of humor, but it also adds a level of confusion. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say like silliness, which I'm not opposed to silliness. I think that's an important part of childhood. Mm-hmm. But when we don't clarify, then yeah. they bring that silliness into their middle school locker room. Yeah. And that's not fun anymore. Um, no. You know, like we want to be we want to be appropriately protective. Yes. And I think that's also like helping our children speak about what they want and need and how they're feeling. Yeah. If we give them accurate names for those body parts, then they can be much clearer about yeah. what hurts, what's uncomfortable, yep. what yep. they need, what feels good. You know, like we want them to be able to accurately describe what feels good. Um, and feel empowered to use their voice to ask for what they want eventually in the bedroom, but much right. longer before then in all the other contexts that we have them living in, right? Yeah. So it's absolutely, there's so much about it that's not even, it's not even about the erotic yet. No. It's just about empowering them as people yeah. in their own voices yeah. to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is the importance of sexual education? Because I know, yeah. you know from when, where I was growing up, it was a very conservative small town. There mm-hmm. was no, like even in high school, we had like a biology class eventually where we right. learned about the biology of a body, but right. there was no sexual education at all. Right. right. And so how does that impact someone versus having some sort of actual, like sexual education Right. Yeah. So what we know, looking at the research, which I can, I'll pitch you a couple of links you can put in your show notes. Um, But like the Journal of Adolescence has a lot of great research on Mm -hmm. the value of sex education, just from a research standpoint. It's not even like a moral or like 
God says you should. It's right. it's just like, this is what the research says. We know that people relate to one another better when they understand about sexuality. We know that we have less unplanned pregnancies, fewer teen pregnancies, fewer violence in relationships. All of those things are made better by accurate, no shame sex education. Mm -hmm. So even those three things by themselves are incredibly compelling to me because I want that for my kids and I want that for my community. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. No, I love that. Okay, so then going into... Because I feel like there's other things. I mean, this has been fantastic. I, I know, we could just wait for hours. I know. <laughs> I know. So you were talking about science earlier. Yes. And yes. how that's heavily involved in this sort of topic. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about the science when it comes to, like, sexual desire. Oh, yes. Yes. I think you can we chat about that for a bit? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially for your, when we were talking about kids, let's talk about adults for a second. Yeah. Let's, let's change topics here. I love it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a lot of, a lot of adults assume that female sexuality is like male sexuality light. So one Ah. of the best books for talking about this is Come As You Are um, Mm. by Emily Nagoski. And you can read, it's it's an extensive, it's kind of a textbook kind of thing, but it's so fascinating and interesting. But she's able to describe this difference that female sexuality is not male sexuality light. It actually operates very different from male sexuality. And yes, there's some crossover. You know, there are some times when a, a male sexuality might operate a little bit more like a female and vice versa, but for the most part, we operate pretty differently. And one of those big differences is um, arousal. And then let's talk about, we'll we'll talk about arousal and desire. So those are the two separate things. I love this. Desire is your your want to have sex. I want to have sex. Arousal is your body's preparation for penetration. Okay? Right. Okay. So you can have you can have um, non-congruence in, incongruency between those two things. You can have desire, where I want to have sex, but no arousal. My body is not preparing for it. Ah, I don't okay. actually. My body's like I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. You can also have arousal without desire. So, for example, and this is a sad situation, but often for rape victims. Um, they tend to feel a lot of shame because their bodies respond with arousal. Just, this is like a um, subconscious experience, but your body says, I know I'm about to engage sexually, so I'm going to warm up and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to prepare because I know this will be a less painful experience if I go ahead and lubricate things before penetration that I'm, I know is going to come, but I have zero desire in that experience, right? Like I do not want it to be happening, but my body is getting aroused anyway, or I have a lot of desire, but my body won't wake up. It won't get get going. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's one difference. And, and let me talk about arousal just for one more minute. So for men, arousal looks like if you just had a standard bell curve where it started at zero, it went up to a hundred and then it came back down to zero. That's typical male arousal. From the moment they start thinking about sex and get excited about it, their arousal rises to a hundred, they're able to ejaculate and then it goes back down to zero and they're done. Okay. That's normal for males. 
for females, they have a graduated arousal experience. So they're at zero. Someone mentions sex, they bump up to two or three, and then it goes back down to zero again. And then the husband does the dishes and it bumps back up to six or seven and then back down to zero again. And then uh i don't know they smell some good smelling cologne oh up to 15. right a candle. <laughs> yes yes so this like slow i wish i could draw draw on the podcast but right. <laughs> not really this like slow like up and then down again up higher and then down again then up higher and then down again yeah that is normal for female arousal so in an experience between a male and a female in a sexual experience, sometimes that is confusing and frustrating, right? Yeah. Men yeah. are expecting their wife to get as excited as quickly and as consistently as they do. And women are expecting themselves to do that as well because yes. we've been told female sexuality is male sexuality, right? Like maybe yes. it'll be a little slower, maybe it'll be a little lower, but it's going to be exactly like his. No, it is not like his. It is yeah. different. So if she's educated on arousal, if they're both educated on arousal, then when her arousal drops, they know that's okay. That's normal. There's no reason to be ashamed or embarrassed. Of course, it can be a little frustrating because you're like wanting to get to the point of of peak arousal. But if you can be patient and loving with one another and say, you know what? It's cool. This is just how your body works. Just just breathe a minute. Maybe we stop stimulation for just a minute and calm down. Uh, maybe we just speak kindly to each other for a few minutes mm. or speak dirty if that's your thing, you know, like right. be silly yeah. with it, but we change things up for a minute. If he's patient with her, she feels so safe with him mm-hmm. and like she can trust him. Then she's actually more excited again. Like it'll yeah. pop back up on its own if we keep doing the right things, the, the healthy things, and we take care of all the things going on, then she's going to get there eventually, but with a lot of peaks and valleys in between. Okay. Right. So that's arousal. That's how arousal is very different. When we're talking about desire, that, that want to mm-hmm. have sex, There's two types of desire. One is considered spontaneous desire, as in it really does feel like it just pops up out of nowhere and we get really quickly from desire to arousal. Um, And it can feel like there's almost no context for it. I can, you know, I I think of all those like, you know, middle school boys who are, you know, really embarrassed in the middle of math class because suddenly they're excited and they're like, where did that come from? Nothing about math class (laughs) should be getting me excited, (laughs) but suddenly I'm excited. You know, that, that is, it's normal for half the population. Um, The other form of arousal is called contextual desire and contextual desire is just more, it's more subtle and it's more complex. So it takes more, there are more boxes to check before the desire shows up. So the truth is they're they're really more likely on a continuum um, where on one end, there's just a few boxes that need to get checked, but a lot of the boxes are just being checked on a normal basis. Right. Okay. And so it's easier to get there. The other one, it's like these boxes aren't necessarily getting checked regularly and there's maybe more of them um, that need to be checked in order for the desire to show up. So, you know, if we're talking about, um, it's not always males have spontaneous and females have contextual, but it's often that way. Right. 
And part of the reason is that testosterone is one of the primary drivers for desire. Now, men and women both have testosterone, but men have a lot more than women. Mm -hmm. So if they have that kind of prompt, that testosterone prompt happening all day long, it doesn't take much to push it over the edge to full-blown desire and then arousal. But if you have low testosterone, or at least lower testosterone, then there are going to be other things, especially for women, there are a lot of mental things that need to happen, Um, not just physical. So it's not just hormonal. It's like how I'm thinking, how I'm feeling about myself, how I'm feeling about our connection, how how I'm noticing all the things happening in our family and in our home and in our work and in our world. We just... Most women are less compartmentalized, which just means that they, every part of their life is touching every other part of their life. Yeah. So um, just last night, my husband and I are in bed together and, and, you know, we're starting to connect a little bit. And then I said, hey, don't we have an appointment on Thursday for the dentist? And he said, What? where are you right now? And I said, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I, that's just where I, I don't know. Yeah. All the parts are touching all the other parts. Like, this wasn't really far from dentist appointments for me, you know? Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was flabbergasting to him because that's not where his mind was at all, you yeah. know? And, and that's true for a lot of people with contextual desire. They have a lot of pieces of things that are going on that kind of need to be set in place for them to get excited. Mm-hmm. And that's not bad news. It's it's just, um, in fact, I think it's good news that so many of us have differing desire. Yeah. Um, for one partner to have very spontaneous desire makes it pretty simple and easy. Like they can easily be the driver and the, the reminder mm-hmm. um, for the couple to, to get connected sexually. Um, and the other partner, what they bring to that equation is the complexity that that drives intimacy. So there's a deeper connection if we're having conversations about all of these things rather than just a purely physical connection. Um, So it's, I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful compliment to have within one single relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I I feel like so many women are like, wow, my goodness, how come I feel like none of my boxes are checked at the same time? Like Uh, a struggle. I think so many women deal with it is it, it, I think it's hard for us because we expect of ourselves yes. to work like they do and and it doesn't help if your partner is expecting that from you as yeah. well I mean I the the burden is on both partners to learn how women work mm-hmm. how their minds work how their erotic mind works yeah. and then to see that as a joyful, good thing that deepens the relationship is so important for them to actually both be able to enjoy the experience instead of shaming, you know, being able to just telling the other person you're broken or you're messed up or you're too slow or you're, that's not helpful for anybody. No, no, and it's not going to get anyone else more in the mood. (laughs) Like, why can't you be aroused like that? It's like, well, (laughs) if I said I would, like, I thought it would happen for me too. And it's so funny because I remember on my honeymoon, expecting you know you go through the purity, the purity culture sort of thing where you know I'm saving yeah. myself till marriage so now now it's okay so now it's good now I'm going to want it every time every day yeah. all the time three times a day and then you get married yeah. and I'm like I googled like how to get turned on like I was like how yeah. what do I do like 
I thought this was supposed to happen. You know, he's turned on. I should be turned on too. Like, where's the disconnect, right? Right. Right. And so I think that's a part of the whole, like, sex sex education part of it too is to just even explain some of these things. Yes. Um, So your kids, like, you're married, like, getting married kids, even you're like, okay, this is kind of what you can expect. This is what you cannot expect. Expectations maybe need to be adjusted. Because yeah, and yeah. I think it it gets even more confusing when when you're when you're young and you're not very experienced and so everything is new. There's this like giant box that says new and spontaneous that is really easy to check when you're young and inexperienced, but that's only true for a few minutes. Yeah, <laughs> and and then <laughs> when you've had sex, even 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 once you've had sex seven days in a row it's no longer brand new and spontaneous and you also don't have that kind of like fear and danger that comes with doing things you feel are risky Mm. you feel less and less risky about it when you have a fully committed partner which there's a there is research done on this specifically esther perel is your researcher for that if you're interested Um, because there is a large number of couples who have great marriages who experience affairs. Mm. And that, that shouldn't make sense to us no. um, because we tell ourselves, well, if my marriage is secure, then I, that kind of affair proofs my marriage, except it doesn't. Like, mm. it happens a lot where an affair is, and it's because there are some erotic components of connection that are driven by newness and spontaneity and, you know, risky, you know, those elements of, of, frankly, of romance that we really quickly and easily lose out of our marriages unless we're building those in. Um, So it's not just I'm I'm safe and committed and physically available. That's not what keeps your marriage safe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's continually investing in the erotic connection between you and your partner so that you can still have that excitement and that's the other thing I thought of with desire is just how that changes over time um you know there are plenty of people you will hear in the secular world all the time why would I want to eat the same meal every day for the rest of my life you know I don't want that um but the beauty is people absolutely can build into their marriages erotic diversity and and connection and excitement even though they've been together a long time if they're purposeful about continuing to do their personal work and continuing to be even more vulnerable with each other even if you're married for 50 years there's no end to the limit of complexity of human beings so continuing to figure out who you are and figure out who your spouse is doing that work over a long period of time makes a huge difference in you being able to really continue to enjoy each other Mm -hmm. as you grow and develop very cool i love that you touched on that so like what's an example if someone's like oh maybe we don't have that like you know erotic sort of risky Uh stuff in our marriage like how does the couple Mm -hmm. Like, how would you say they go about trying to figure that out or add something? Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, that's a, it's a hard question. And, and we definitely, knowing that your audience is more conservative, they might have more fear um, answering that question. 
Um, but I, I honestly, if, if we can keep it in the realm of a couple who wants to honor God with their relationship, I think maybe the conversation starts with knowing that God designed us with deep complexity. And if we can humbly accept that we're going to go through peaks and valleys, that's the first one. Mm -hmm. Like it is very normal to have this like high peak of excitement early in marriage. And then you're eight, nine, 10 for that to kind of crash a little bit. And that's, that's normal. Number one, because we get busy and hectic and crazy with children around that time. Um, but also we've just been together long enough that we kind of like know each other's habits and patterns. Um, and it's easy for there to be a lull there. And so to first just be able to say, yeah, that's a normal part of the rhythm of life and it's not going to last forever. You know, not to say like, well, I thought we were good partners, but we're not, you know, I was wrong. You know, we don't need to say that we can say, we were really good partners for each other and we made a good pick here. Um, how can we build this back in or how can we ride this out Mm -hmm. rather than scrapping the whole thing and throwing it away? Um, That's the first step. And then I absolutely would include prayer in this, which I know there are lots of people that would say like, how do I, they they see like God on one side of things and then sex on the other. And I totally disagree with that. You know, I, I think that God and sex are, they're synonymous in that he created it. And, um, not synonymous, but they're, they're, they're connected, right? Yeah. He created it and he, inc- he's included in it and can be a powerful part of your sexual experience. Um, just by saying he knows you, he gets you, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your partner better than you know yourself. Yeah. So for you all prayerfully to say to the Lord, Lord, here's where we're at. Like we've kind of run out of steam. We're feeling kind of bored and things feel you know, kind of boring, what do we do? And kind of leaving that open-ended question out there and and trusting that he's the good shepherd he says he is, Mm -hmm. um, that he will open the doors that he wants you to walk through and be curious about and not have to be afraid that you're going to, you know, jump off the edge of a cliff. Um, God knows. He knows we're sheep, right? He knows we are dumb. And he knows we're ignorant. He knows we wander easily. He's very aware of how we work and he's not afraid. Mm -hmm. You know, he says he's a good shepherd. Our, our survival and thriving is a hundred percent dependent on his goodness Mm -hmm. and leading and protecting us, not in our fearfully clinging to what we think is healthy in the moment. We we can say very calmly, Lord, what do we do? Where do we go? I'm going to take a gingerly slow step forward and say, is this good? Does this work? Or do we not feel good about that? You know, Mm -hmm. just, I want to say like spicing it up, putting it in air quotes, spicing it up as in allowing other elements to be a part of what you're experiencing a little bit at a time you know, ask, listening to great podcasts like this, um, you know, even talking to a pastor, if it's a, if it's a emotionally healthy pastor or your friends, like what have y'all, what do y'all suggest? Are there toys, you know? And you, I mean, I I really don't know how your audience feels. I'm personally not a fan of porn. I I think there's plenty of research that says pornography is not helpful. Mm -hmm. And 
exploring adding additional people that feels unhealthy to me because yes. I see in scripture that not being healthy yes um but I don't I don't see any scriptural um argument against toys I don't see any scriptural arguments against exploring your your whole body um I you know I don't I, I don't think those things are problems so just being curious um is I think a great a great place to start and just ask the Lord to lead. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's so good. Yeah, and I'm thinking I was like, oh yeah, we have an episode called like let's spice it up, and we have a couple yeah. ones like that. And I was yeah. like, what did we share in there? And I was trying to think back to like <laughs> hey, what, what would I have said when I was like mm-hmm. playing that episode. But yeah, it's it's totally that. It's like switching up things like locations in your home yeah. or you know yes. different kinds of like times of day. Um, yeah you know, putting up a mirror so you can like see things yes. that are going on, you know, yes. making it a different like um, sensory experience, Yes, you know, different things like that. Well, and maybe one really powerful one, if they're open to this, is the idea of exploring fantasy. And when I say fantasy, I think it scares a lot of people because mm. they think you're quickly becoming lustful or you're going to right. get into dangerous territory. Mm-hmm. But there is really powerful evidence that our fantasies are tied to our attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you want a resource for that, Jay Stringer, Unwanted, that is a phenomenal book all about how our attachment is related to our, our, our fantasies and our desires. Mm. Um, and, you know, f- fantasizing or being interested and curious about something is not the same thing as wanting to do it or or doing it. It's very different. Like, you know, I can say for myself, I don't know if you watched this a, a long time ago, there's a, a movie that came out about a guy climbing um, Half Dome at Yosemite and he was free climbing it, right? Like no ropes. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, I can't remember what it's called, but anyway, fascinating, right? Like yeah. so amazing. I wanted, I was on pins and needles watching the whole thing. Yeah. I really wanted to watch this. I never want to do that. Never, right. ever, ever but I was super interested in it. Like, yeah. does that make the difference a little bit clear? Like I think there so, yeah. can be things in your, in your sexual life where you're like, I'm curious about that. I'm interested in that. I want to understand that, but I don't want to do it. So like processing what's interesting and exciting to you with your partner is incredibly intimate Yes, and can build intimacy just verbally with your, right. with your partner and emotionally. Um, and then who knows what that leads to physically, but for at least for a lot of people, what happens in the mind really affects what happens in the body. Mm-hmm. So being able to have conversations about that, again, without fear, can be really powerful in yeah. your connection and doesn't mean that you are venturing into lust or some right. you know, terrible experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to keep it within the boundary, like you said before, like as you're you're praying about these things and you're, mm-hmm. you're talking about it. It's like, okay, is this something that, you know, is God honoring? Um, mm-hmm. you know, is it respectful to both of us? Is it something that right. if you do venture into trying different things is, are we like both enthusiastically consenting to this? Right. Right. Like there's right. so much more to it as so well. Much. And yeah. So that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and even the things that, are attractive to you that are out of bounds, you know, that you both consider out of bounds. So right. like, let's say one of you is like having some sort of fantasy about a threesome. Right. That's actually a very common fantasy. Um, you know, 
to be honest with your partner and say, I've been thinking about this and that feels, I don't know, that kind of turns me on a little bit or something like that just to think about it. That is such a vulnerable share. I mean, my gosh, that's vulnerable share. And then for y'all to work through emotionally what's going on there. Why is that exciting to me? Can I listen to that without shaming you? You know, can I... Can we explore what was going on that was kind of driving that excitement? That is such a powerful experience to have with your partner. And it is not you diving into a threesome. That's not what that is. Right. That's just y'all talking about your desire Mm -hmm. and your excitement and your erotic mind Mm -hmm. and not choosing to go there or entertain it, Mm -hmm. but just having a conversation about it. Yeah. And I think it starts with like really, because someone maybe is like, we don't even talk about sex. Like we would never even like bring up, like, because yeah, I can see how instantly someone would feel like shame and they'd want to hide those thoughts, right? And it's like, okay, well, not that, yeah, I love how you you put it. It's like, you're not going to entertain these things. These aren't things you're going to go, okay, yeah, no, I've had that thought too. Like, let's go give it a try. Like that's not, right? right? It's not what we want to encourage. No, but it's just like, it's like those sharing those, I'd almost want to call it, it's kind of like confessing in a sense. Like you're just yeah, like. Yeah. Well, it's that level of vulnerability. Yeah, that's Absolutely. exactly it. Yeah, it's not yeah. just the like, oh yeah, I was thinking we should try it on the washing machine. Like, like it's it's different. <laughs> it's a different level. Um, yeah. And it's like really oh, sharing yeah. like the depths of your heart that like. Right. Like, it's, it's something that you would probably not share with anyone else in the yeah. world. Yeah. Like it's that deep and that probably scary mm-hmm. and because of maybe shame, like especially having grown up in purity culture, mm-hmm. I, I definitely did. And like there's so much shame for me, there was so much shame about even talking about sex. Yeah. Like I, I could not even say penis or vagina or vulva, oh. even in front of my friends. Yeah. Like I, that, that like there's so much shame there that talking about fantasy it, it 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 initially like made me feel bad about who I was mm-hmm. that I even had thoughts and feelings. Mm. So to like bring that out in the open, I mean, it like feels like throwing up, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I let it out, you know. And then, but then to have your partner say, like, oh, well, tell me about that, you know, like what what are you thinking? What are you feeling? You know, mm-hmm. to have them respond with that level of grace mm-hmm. and kindness and no shame. Oh my gosh. Like you would just feel so loved yeah. and so like accepted as a, as just a normal human yeah. um, rather than shamed and shoved aside or shut back into a closet or whatever, however you might yeah. talk about. Yeah. No, no, that's interesting. That's good. Okay. So to wrap it up, I kind of had a question I wanted to, to end on and something to make it kind of practical for the people who are listening. So, um, to close, what kind of what tip, like what's a tip that you would, if a couple was to implement it today, what's a tip that would benefit their relationship? Yeah. Um, so I'm a huge fan of the 10 minutes of day of looking each other in the eyes. Ooh. And that sounds really simple and easy and not maybe not even sexual at all to some people, but especially once you have kids in the mix and you all are running 90 miles a minute in the same direction Mm -hmm. 
but trying to take care of all of the needs of yourself, of the kids, of work, of the household, like you're working so hard together that it can feel like you're a phenomenally good working team, but you can forget that the other person is a human. Mm. And just to relate to each other, eyeball to eyeball, see their soul, let them see your soul, actually relate to each other in a non-work situation, just as a we're humans together, we're in this together, we love each other, we enjoy each other's Mm -hmm. presence. That makes such a big difference in feeling seen in your relationship that that's that's going to be my recommendation every time because unfortunately so many so few of us actually do that yeah. um it's it's sadly very rare and 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 it's so small right it's it could be so easy to maintain that connection but it's just a discipline that we don't practice mm-hmm. or we don't realize it's important to practice yeah. um so is it so like that's talking was... and looking eye to eye or just like just staring straight I mean, I've never done 10 minutes of staring in anyone's eyes before, so I don't know, like that, that feels a little intense to me. I, I, I think it's just the idea of instead of both of you facing the same direction for you to face each other, you can talk, you can have conversations, you can drink your coffee or eat your, eat your breakfast, or, you know, I think you can have things going on while you're looking at each other, but just the fact that you're facing each other rather than facing the yeah, other direction shoulder to shoulder just going. yeah that mm-hmm. that's the difference mm-hmm. right there yeah that's really good and i think it reminds oh. me too of like you know how like a longer hug or things like that can like right. increase connection and whatever i think too it's like a similar thing where you're like you know it the act of listening yeah. feeling yes. seen and heard and valued um, yeah when you're talking versus just talking yeah you're in the other room and you're in the kitchen and whatever right. totally different so right i love that man brandy this is fantastic thank you so much i feel like i should visit with you all the time it was so, so lovely <laughs> we'll have to do it again one day yes it was very fun yeah call me again and we'll we'll do another one sometime hey, i would love that well thank you so much it was such a pleasure mm-hmm. to have you on the podcast and um you yeah. brought so much wisdom and send, send all your listeners to my website yeah. if you can yep it takes the breath.com okay. and i have all my resources there okay. Um, where else can they find you yeah um you can find me on instagram which is how i think i found you um it's just brandy k harris and um i'm on facebook as well and tiktok you know we just kind of go all of those places i'm not much of a twitter person i don't i don't have enough to banter back and forth i guess but but i am on the other three so if you want to find me there you can and then my website is the best place so all my resources books yeah the sex education stuff sex ed for parents yeah Yeah, that's right that's all there awesome well thank you so much you're welcome Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like our content, please like, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell your friends too. Thanks so much for journeying with us today as we tackled the hard questions and dive deep into godly intimacy. Make sure you follow us on Instagram to see more of our content and check the show notes for any links we might have mentioned in today's episode. We're so grateful to be on this journey with you and we can't wait to see you in the next episode. 